0: We're in the seven-part series of being transformed by Jesus. These encounters in the Bible that were transformative. The people left completely different than how they started. And as we talk about that, there's a temptation to say, well, that happened to them, and that's nice, but how does that really pertain to me? Now, one thing to keep in mind is, is that Jesus is the Word. And the Word was God. The Word is God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Nothing has been made that hasn't been made through Jesus. And the word became flesh, and we have seen his light. He has been the light of men, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's from John 1, 1 through 14. And as we encounter the word, as we let it make our hearts alive and bring our hearts to, uh, alive, Jesus comes alive and transforms us too. So as I share about today, we're going to talk about the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. Let's also bring it back to our times with the word. But before we get into that, I was talking to Jonathan earlier before the service today, and he let me know that it was Celeste's birthday last weekend. Happy birthday, Celeste! Woo! And next weekend is my wife's birthday. My wonderful wife, Sheetal. She's in the back there. She's she's cringing. She's getting as low as possible there. And one of the things that Jonathan and I were talking about is is that you know when you get married, a birthday isn't just a day. It becomes birthday week. It's a whole week of celebration and excitement and. And sheila has been lobbying for a while to make it birthday month, you know? I know the ladies are pretty excited about this, but, but I know that's a slippery slope because birthday month becomes birthday year pretty quickly. And then what is it even about? I mean, then it's just like a perpetual birthday, you know? So I was thinking about, okay, so what do I do for birthday week? I guess there are several things, and, and so now i got to come up with several surprises or something or, or, or whatnot, but there's no pressure because I'm doing it because I love my wife. I love her deeply. So it's, it's not a pressure thing. It's because I want to respond to the incredible, passionate love I have for my wife. <laughs> and so, one of, some of the gifts are practical, some of, are not so practical, but one of the practical gifts is for a while, she, was like, you know, she loves me and she wants me to be more healthy. So she was like, Matt, why don't you start going to like a personal trainer? And because she knows that if I, if I try to go to the gym on my own, I'm like, like this, and I'm like, I think I'm done. You know? And she knows that I need someone to kind of push me a little bit, so... This past Tuesday was my first time going to the personal trainer. Yes. And it was as bad as I thought it would be. It was actually a little bit worse, a little bit worse. Um, now, I recognized that I needed to do it, and, and it was love that compelled me to receive that, right? But it was, there was pain. There was pain involved. And as I went to the personal trainer, he looked at me like I was this, this soft, squishy bowl of pu- like putty, putty or... Like, Plato or something like that. And, and he was real and honest with me. He said, you know, I'm just going to try to make you a little bit firmer, Plato. Like, I'm not going to make you into, like, something like Man of Steel or something. You're, you're just going to be a little bit firmer. And I was like, I appreciate your honesty. But as I was doing this and as I was doing the exercise, I was getting lightheaded and, like, my muscles were burning. And I was like, um, can, can I take a water break? He's like, you just had a water break, you know? And I was trying to slow things down and there was a lot of pain. And at the end of it, I said, was that, did I pay to do this? This is, like, why did I do this? And, and, and I think we have a picture of me um, in, in laying on my, my, my bedroom floor. It was like a mess. Like, I think as I got to the floor, I pulled on clothes, and, and I was just laying there, and I was just, like, I was just thankful that I didn't pass out and like, lose consciousness. And, but that moral victory was quickly erased by the tears that try, were trying to come out. Like I was trying to cry because I just hurt so bad but I was so dehydrated that the tears wouldn't come out. And so it's, it's really demoralizing to fail at crying, you know? That's, that was like just the, the salt in my wounds. And then a couple days after that, I was like convinced I'm never going to do this again. But, but what I realized is a lot of the aches and pains that I had before were suddenly gone. That I actually felt better. And my wife was wise beyond her years, and she only wanted good things for me. And, and belief came into my heart. And I knew that that's that's actually something that's similar to how I interact with the Word. That as I come to the Word of God, sometimes I come in as this religious kind of perspective of reading like two minutes of the Word and feeling like I did my due diligence, like going to the gym and just lifting a couple of dumbbells and feeling like I went to the gym and did something great. Other times, I recognize the need because of my love. And I come into the word, I receive it, and it transforms me. It transforms my mind. It transforms my thoughts. It transforms everything about me. And so as we read this, I want us to consider those times. And so that it's relevant and real for us. So the first, if you can turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 18. Luke 18, 18. It'll be behind me, so no pressure. But as you guys are turning to that, I just want to give you some background. So we're going to we're going to talk about the rich young ruler. Now, a few months ago, I started, I found out I was going to be preaching this ser- sermon. And so I started just kind of reading the word. And, you know, my first thought was, I've, I've heard, I've heard the story before, the rich young ruler, and then we're going to be talking about Zacchaeus. It was like, in Sunday school, in, in Groundbreakers, I would have heard about Zacchaeus. And I was like, great, I, I kind of already know what I'm going to talk about. And God kind of chuckled. He was like, oh, Matt's. You, you, you're just touching the surface of this. And over the last three months, as I would get into the Word, literally more and more and more would come through. The Word became alive. I started seeing things that I'd never seen before. Other parts of the Bible started connecting. God made it real, and it, it, it really changed my perspective. So if you're coming here and you feel like you've heard all this before, that all these sermons, it's the same old, same old, I would just challenge you to just see if you don't hear something different. Because God wants us to grow in depth. Now, the rich young ruler, um, actually, the, the latest thing that, that, that God was teaching me about this is, see, some of the things were, were good biblical things, but some of them were just silly things. And and yesterday, as I was reading the Bible, and I told you, literally every single day I would read, read this passage, God would bring something new to me. And so yesterday I was reading, I was like, oh, God, what do you have for me today? And he said, maybe... Maybe, Matt, for you, to make it a little bit more pertinent, maybe let's give him a rapper name. And I was like, what? And so he said, why don't you call him Rich Youngsta? Rich. And, and I wasn't going to share this because it shows you how big of a dork I am. But it was just like one of those things I was laughing about yesterday. I was like, this is awesome. This is, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for, for not taking this too seriously. But the real, the real rich young ruler, okay, not rich youngster, the real rich young ruler in Luke 18, just some background on him. He was, he was a ruler, but he was Jewish. And there are only a few things that Jewish people could rule under Roman occupation. They could be a king like Herod, but Herod didn't keep the rules of the Bible, the rules of Moses. And we hear, see here that the rich young ruler, since he was a child, kept those rules. So he was a religious Jew. He wasn't a tax collector or ruling kind of taxes and administrating because tax collectors weren't known to keep those rules. So, religious Jews could only rule certain things. And one of those things was synagogues. We see in the Bible that there were times when rulers of the synagogue would come up to Jesus, and when Jesus was healing someone on the Sabbath, they would be indignant. They said, How dare you heal this woman that has been suffering with this? Don't you know there's six days to do things? There's six days to heal. Don't do it on the Sabbath. And you read it and you're like, what are you talking about? Don't heal this person because it's Sabbath? And that was Jesus' response too. So rulers of synagogue were religious rulers, oversaw Pharisees, all about the rules. And so that rich young ruler came and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? You see, the rich young ruler came to him and already thought he knew who he was, good teacher, And he said, what must I do to uh, obtain eternal life? All he cared about was what to do and the eternal life. But you see, the Bible tells us that we are all eternal beings. In Genesis 127, it says, we were created in the image of God. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, James last week, when he was talking about Nicodemus, talked about how he's put eternity in our hearts. But how we spend that eternity makes all the difference. And why do we spend that? You see, friends, if we don't spend it with Jesus... Eternity is meaningless. In fact, eternity is actually a a crushing weight if we don't have it with Jesus. And so Jesus tries to get to that point. He says, why do you call me good? Don't you know no one is good except for God alone? You can feel the dramatic pause. So because the rich young ruler says nothing, Jesus goes on and says, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder. Now, I just want to remind you that that Jesus earlier in the, in the Beatitudes says, anyone who has hate in his heart for his brother commits murder. In 1 John 3.15, it says, anyone who hates his brother commits murder in his heart, because that leads to the physical manifestation of that. In the Beatitudes, in Matthew 5, it says, anyone who has lustful thoughts over a woman commits adultery. But the rich young ruler looking at the outside also hears, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he says, all these I have kept for my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, and actually in Mark 10, it says Jesus loved him. He looked upon him and loved him. And he said to this one thing you still lack, sell all you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come follow me. You know, the multiple times I read this before, what caught my attention was sell everything you have and give to the poor. But actually, what I realized as I was reading this is God was emphasizing, come follow me. Look, you want eternal life, and that's great. But spend it with me. And if you want to spend eternal life with me, how about you start by just spending some time with me now? Just let go of these things that are holding you back. Just come, follow me, get to know me before you commit to eternity with me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. See, there are things that hold us back. There are things that prevent us from recognizing our desperate need for God. And I was thinking practically, as we come to the Word, I want to be honest with you, there are times where I have had that same perspective. There have been so many things that I've had to do, and I was like, oh, you know, I just don't have time to really spend time with you in this moment. And I realized that there are specific practical things that help me recognize my need. One of those things is realizing that I'm desperate for Jesus. You see, in Deuteronomy 8.3, it says, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In Genesis 2.7, it says God breathed into us that his word is why we're even alive and that his word also sustains us. Those rivers of living water that Jesus promised to us, they come alive because the word dwells richly within us. See, we're desperate for him. But there are times when I don't realize that. And my heart is hard. And it seems like when I need him the most is when I, is the last time I want to come to him. See, I have a three year old daughter, and we're, we've been potty training her. And the times when she needs to go potty the most is exactly when she doesn't want to go potty. I'm like, Naray, you know, it, it's been a couple hours. Don't you need to go potty? And she's like, No, no. I was like, Naray, I mean, you're like crossing your legs. You're like, holding your abdomen, you're, like, trying to prevent from going potty. And she's like, no, 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 Dad, I don't, I don't need to go potty. And I, I kind of do the same thing. And whenever I do that, I kind of I pee my spiritual pants too, you know? And it always leads me to a bad place, always, you know? It's embarrassing for a grown man to pee his spiritual pants. I want to let you know that right now. And so the second thing that I, I do is I try to remember. I try to remember. I try to say, what has God done for me? How has the word impacted me before? Like in in personal training, my one, you know, I'm an expert now because I went one time, you know, and so I can, as an authority figure on this, I can tell you that after you go one time, you feel a little stronger, you know, that firm putty, it really, it's true, you really do become that firm putty. And you think about, I, I remind myself who the word is. If the word is Jesus, then let me encounter that Jesus that I, I yearn and hunger and thirst for. Let me, let me realize that, and every time that softens my heart. Every time the distractions of the word that seem to harden my heart, it softens it. And then rejoice. See in John 110, Satan is trying to Job, Job 110, Satan is trying to <laughs> trying to um, attack Job. And he's trying to cause him suffering. But he goes to God and he like, is begging God. He's like, you know, I can't even attack him because you've put this hedge around him. You've put this hedge around him and all of his possessions and his family and all of these things. So I can't even do anything to him. And it caused me to realize that, man, what are all the things that didn't happen to me because of God's protection? You know, maybe on a good day I remember the good things God has done for me. But it's so rare that I think about all of the bad things that could have happened. All of the incredible times where God has saved my life. Where he's protected me from illness. Where he's protected me from from all these dangers that I so easily would have walked into. And as I prayed into that and as I thought of that, I I just was overwhelmed. And I feel like when we first get to heaven, that's just going to be flooding over us like rain. And we're going to just be incredibly thankful for all of the times where it could have gone terribly wrong. You know, when one bad thing happens anywhere in the world, I immediately know about it, right? It's like on the news or it's on my phone or something. And and I'm like, I can't believe that one thing happened. But the million things that could have happened to me, I'm like, yeah, just another day. (laughs) And I find that worship actually helps me with that. When I worship him, and today it helped me with it. As we were worshiping together, didn't you feel that? Didn't you feel your heart's warming within you? Didn't you feel like the distractions from the week? kind of just started a melting away as you started to see Jesus, as you saw him a little more clearly. In Luke 19, 1 through 10, feel free to turn there for me, we're going to talk about someone who recognized his desperate need, but then he received from Jesus. You see, Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. The only time in the Bible that we talk about a chief tax collector. Now, I kind of looked at tax collectors kind of like I look at the IRS. I was like, I don't like them. I don't like paying taxes. I don't know them, but I don't like them, you know? And and I, I think a lot of people in his time felt that same way. You see, tax collectors were despised in that, in that society. They were Jews, but they were collaborating with their Roman oppressors. See, Rome was forcing them and then collecting taxes from that. But they didn't use their Roman people, they used their own brethren, the Jews. They were seen as traitors. It was actually so bad that that tax collectors couldn't even give alms in the, in the temple. They, they, they wouldn't even take their money. They considered dirty money. It would be like looking at a drug dealer and saying, like, I don't want your money, your money's not good here, because it was considered dirty. They couldn't give testimony in, in court of law, because they were seen as unreliable. And their whole family was seen as disgraced. In Jewish teaching, if someone was a criminal, their whole family was seen as a disgrace. And if, if someone was a tax collector, their whole family come, came under disgrace as well. You see, tax collectors were despised by their countrymen, by their families, and even by the Roman officials. Rome would often kill their own people if they didn't obey the laws, if they didn't uh, collect taxes, to prove their loyalty to Rome. So this was Zacchaeus who came in, and as Jesus was entering Jericho, and remember, he was going through Jericho on the way to being crucified. And he told his disciples this many times. In all four Gospels, this is the one event recorded from Jericho. Like, it was just a waylay going through, and Luke was the only one who recorded anything from this time. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not. Because of a small stature. You know, the rich youngster. I mean, the rich young ruler. You know, he came. He came right in to, to to see Jesus. You know, he came right in. He came right up to Jesus. Everyone parted ways so he could make his way through. Zacchaeus, they were like, "You're not going anywhere, buddy." He could not get through anyone. He wasn't big enough to push his way through, so he tried to think of some, something else. So he ran up ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he knew Jesus was gonna pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house. So he hurried, he came down, and he received him joyfully. What a contrast from the rich young ruler walking away in sadness and Zacchaeus receiving him with joy. See, he must have recognized his need if he was to receive him with joy. If he was going to embarrass himself in front of everybody, climbing up a tree, a grown man climbing up a tree just to kind of catch a glimpse. And when all the people saw this, they all grumbled. Grumbled. They all grumbled. Now, the people who were there were Pharisees. And see, in Jericho, there was one chief tax collector, but there were 12,000 Pharisees. Jesus didn't choose to go to their house. He chose to go to the one tax collector's house. His disciples were there too. Did they grumble as well? They didn't record it in their Gospels. And they said, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of all my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. The rich young ruler was asked to give away his money. Zacchaeus so did it without, without a word. You see, something happened to Zacchaeus. Just by receiving the Lord joyfully, he was transformed. His whole perspective, whereas his whole life was about money and collecting taxes, now he was like, take it. I don't want it. If I can be with you, I'll gladly give it away. And there's something about that that kind of caught my attention because if all that you have comes from defrauding people, how could you give four times everything that you've defrauded? I was like, there's more here. There's something more about the heart of Zacchaeus that we're going to get to later. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. You see, if he was just saying that, if he was just pretending to say something to please Jesus, then Jesus who knows our hearts, who sees our hearts, would have never said today salvation has come to your house. You see, that's a critical part of this. We have to receive the word. It's fine to spend time reading the word, but I've done this so many times where I've, I've read the word, felt like I've done my due diligence, and religiously just checked a box and moved on. And it hasn't transformed me. But there are times when I receive the word that it has. It's, it literally has changed my perspective. It's changed my thoughts of the day. Like, whereas I could have thought one thing, I thought something different. I changed my interactions with people. And I realized that part of receiving is to reserve time, reserving time with, with, with Jesus. You know, when I first met Cheadle, you know, and maybe, you, maybe you've known this if you're in a relationship or have ever been in a relationship, where when you first meet someone, you just want to spend as much time with them. You're trying not to call them. You're like, i got to wait two days. i got to wait two days to call them, right? I don't want to seem eager. When I would first talk to Sheetle, we were a long distance, and we would, so we'd talk on the phone a lot. And, you know, just like you guys, I would say, no, no, Sheetle, you hang up first. No, no, you, and then Sheetle would say, no, no, Matt, you hang up first. And I'd say, no, 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 you hang up first. You know, we, we've all done it. We've all done it. And I would just try to talk to her for just a little bit longer, you know. And now, after nine years of marriage, after knowing her for about ten, 10 years, she's like, okay, I'll see you later. And I'm like, okay, bye, Click. And I can barely remind myself to be like, yes, have a good day. <laughs> and I realize that that's not because I love her less now than I did when I first met her. Actually, I love her so much more and that love has grown. But I actually need to work at it. I actually need to, like, work at spending time with my wife. Spending time and, and growing and talking about things that are dear to my heart. And as we do that, I grow and I receive more of her love. And it was the same thing with Jesus when I was reading these passages. I came in being like, yeah, I've heard this before, that's fine, that's great. But as I spent time diving deeper and spending that time receiving, it came alive to me. I would feel my heart burning within me at times. And I was awed by the wonder that God did in bringing the word alive. We also have to resist the world. You see, receiving from Jesus is kind of hard, but receiving from the word is really easy. Because the world is always pushing an agenda to us. You know, when I watch TV, there are these commercials at play. And yeah, I mean, you know, this is before like Netflix and all that stuff. There, there were these things called commercials. And, and what, what people would do is they would, they would buy time to advertise to me. And there's studies done that show that the more commercials you watch, the more unhealthy you eat. Because you start eating things that they're telling you to eat. You start buying things that they're telling you to buy. And they're not spending all that money because you're not receiving it that it's not changing your behavior. See, there's a lot of data that shows that it changes our behavior, but we're like, no, it's not changing me. I find the same thing with news. There's all this drama in the news. Every day there's something new in the news. And as I read it, as I, I, I keep going through it, it just changes my perspective. I, just, I feel like pessimistic about the world. I'm like, what's going on with our government? What's going on with the world? What's, what, what, what's happening here? And I realize that as I receive, it affects me. You see, the Bible says in Psalm 46, 10, Be still and know that I am God. When I come to the word, I have to quiet those other thoughts. I have to actually let go of all that I've received so that I could receive from him. Because God isn't intrusive. He's not pushing an agenda. When the rich young ruler went away in sadness, Jesus, who loved him, didn't chase after him. Jesus offered him everything, but he also gave him the ability to choose to walk away. I want to be the one that chooses to stay, that chooses to dive deeper and to receive more from from him in his word. See, it's a relationship. We have to allow the word into our hearts. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it. He's not forcing you. He's gentle. He's a gentle savior. He's a good father, as we sang earlier today. And if we let it, See if it won't transform you. We have to recognize, we have to look and see. You can look at something and not really see it. I'm, I'm notorious for this. My wife and daughter actually catch everything, but I'll, I'll be looking for my keys, and I'm like, I don't, honey, I don't see it, I don't see it. And she's like, it's like right there, it's on, it's on the table. You're like looking at it, but I wasn't seeing it. And I find that that happens actually with, with my interactions with God. God is doing so much, and I just disregard the, the things that I consider smaller. Psalm 16 says, in the night also my heart instructs me. You know, I've seen this sometimes where I have these dreams, and they're these dreams that kind of shake my thinking, shake my perspective, and I'm just like, oh, you know, whatever. You know, bad seafood, you know, that I had the night before. I I tend to have a lot of bad seafood because I get these dreams like a fair amount. And like a couple weeks ago, actually, I had this really vivid dream where I had this dream where I had like something like Parkinson's and I was walking and I had to like hold on to something and I was struggling to walk and I was, it was with great effort and I was the same age I was now. And I would sit down and I had this incredible feeling of regret, like I just looked off and I just had this deep feeling of regret like, oh, I wish, I wish that had never happened. And I woke up and I was kind of shaken by it, I was like, God, what, what was that all about? Bad seafood? And God was like, no, no, Matt, that seafood was okay. It was okay. But he, he transported me back to a time when I was in high school. And I shared a couple of years ago with the church that there was a time where I was planning on committing suicide. And the day before I was going to do that, I, I, that's when I first received Jesus. Because I cried out to him. I recognized my desperate need. And I said, Jesus, if you're there, if you're real, please help. Please help. And I was weeping. And I received Jesus into my heart. But the plan I had the next day was to... Uh, lock myself in the garage and turn the car on and try to die from carbon monoxide poisoning. But you see, our garage was really rickety. It was this old, rickety garage, and it had a lot of leaks. So I probably wouldn't have died, actually, from it. (laughs) But now as a physician, I know that what probably would have happened is a condition like Parkinson's that happens. See, there's a part in our brain where the, the carbon monoxide damages specifically that part of the brain. And it causes a movement disorder in young people that looks like Parkinson's. And all of a sudden, the dream came rushing back, and it it became real to me. I realized that I would have had that if if it wasn't for God's supernatural protection over me. If it wasn't for him intervening in my life when I just asked and I was open to receive. I did receive, and I received more than I would have ever thought. But the next thing God told me was, he said, Matt, would it have been better to have had that Parkinson's and then been healed, or to have never had it at all? And I said, well, I, I would have... I definitely never wanted to have it at all. I said, yes, but if you had had it and I healed you, every day you'd be like, thank you, Jesus. You would have been jumping up for joy. You would, have done, you would have told everybody. But when it never really happened to you, it's like a passing thought. And I just thought, what is that 99% of things that God does every day protecting me, sustaining me, guiding me, that I just gloss over, that I don't give him the due that I should See friends, we need to recognize the goodness of our God. And that'll create something deeper within us. It'll create belief. You know, as I was reading further, I looked just a few verses before the rich young ruler. And there is this passage that in Luke 18:10-14, where Jesus is giving a parable. And I'd read this passage so many times before, but for the first time in my life I realized that it was a prophetic parable. You see, this was just a day before and a few verses before he met the rich young ruler and another day before he met Zacchaeus. And Jesus tells the people who were with him, two men went up to the temple to pray and one was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And for the first time in my life, I realized that Jesus was talking about the rich young ruler who was a Pharisee, a religious ruler, overseeing a synagogue. And Jesus was talking about this Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, that he would just meet a day later and a day later. And all of the people, it was just lost on them. The words on Jesus just passed right through them. And I looked at some Bible commentaries to be like, am I making this up? And they were like, no, religious teachers were like, yeah. That's, it was a prophetic parable telling us the hearts of people. You see, so often we look at the outside and we assume so much. But Jesus was giving us a glimpse into where their hearts were at that time and where our hearts should be. So the next thing I I, I realized and I felt God saying was believe the word. See, the word can come alive to us. He can reveal these truths, these deep truths. These wisdom of ages can be revealed to us. The word comes alive and its beauty helps us believe. See, we don't have to force ourselves to believe, friends. If we just recognize our need and if we receive it, receiving it, the word naturally will transform us. It gives us faith to believe. The Bible says faith comes by healing by hearing, that as we receive it, it transforms us. We don't have to try to make ourselves who Jesus meant us to be. It happens just by being in his presence. On the road to Emmaus, Cleopas and another disciple walked down to Emmaus, and Jesus was with them, and he, was, he opened up the word to them. He talked about everything from Moses to all the other teachers, and they said, didn't our hearts burn within us as he opened up the words to us? These were people who read the word several times, but there was so much more that could be opened up, and I felt that way. There were times when I was reading the Word where I felt like my heart was burning within me, and that's the, that's what we can experience as we spend time in the Word. We also need to allow the Word to renew us. You know, Zacchaeus, the word Zacchaeus in Hebrew actually means pure one. It means clean. You know, when his parents named him, they felt God say he was pure and he was clean. And Zacchaeus was after he met Jesus. You see, Jesus helped him to be, to fulfill that destiny. He helped him to be pure and clean, white as snow. He washed Zacchaeus just like he washes all of us. That call upon Zacchaeus' life, he stepped into it. That true name that Zacchaeus had, he had it. Levi, the tax collector, was renamed Matthew, gift of God, after he met Jesus. Saul was renamed Paul. Paul. It says in Revelations that we will find our true names when we meet Jesus. And that's what the Lord Lord does. That's what the Word does. It transforms us into how we were meant to be. That call and that destiny that each of us has. You know, we may think that we're just supposed to do what we're doing now. But God has so much more. God has so much deeper for each one of us. And then we release. We release that more that he has. In John 7... Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, I will give you rivers of living water that will come from your hearts. And friends, there is a thirsty, thirsty world out there. There is a broken and hurting world. Just today I read about the bombing in in, in London. The terrorist attacks that would seek to rob us of our joy. Rob us of our our, our inheritance. Rob us of our identity in Jesus. But as we receive from him, rivers of living water come forth and transform this world. Instead of being downhearted about what the world isn't, let us help to be what the world should be. Let us help heaven to advance upon this earth and transform it. In Numbers 625, yes, Numbers. Numbers 625. I rarely read Numbers, okay, because it's filled with numbers. And and I kind of get lost (laughs) in it. I'm like, what is the cubit? How many cubits does it take to do what? But in Numbers 625, as I was reading about Zacchaeus and and the Richmond ruler, I was actually, I I came upon Numbers 625. and, And in it, God says to Moses, speak to Aaron and the whole priestly class and say this blessing over them. The Lord was saying this. And he says, say this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And that blew my mind. I was like, wait. Lord, you were saying, say to them, may the Lord do this. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. Lord, if you want to do that, just do it. Just make your face shine upon him. Just make your countenance do all of these things. And then I realized that, you know what? God wants to partner with us. He wants to give us that, that small task of just believing that he is who he said he was. That small thing of believing that he really will do those things. And Moses faithfully went to Aaron and he said those things. And then you know what? God really did do that. He blessed them for generations. He blessed that whole class. That whole priestly class was blessed because of this blessing. The Bible says that we are a royal priesthood. All of us are a royal priesthood. That blessing pertains to us. And this morning, for the first time ever, I proclaimed that blessing over myself. You see, we can receive those blessings, we can release those blessings upon us. Instead of just being good, wise teachings, we can receive these blessings upon us. I said, and I want to pray that over all of us now, Lord, bless everyone in this church and keep us. Lord, make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. Lord, lift up your countenance upon us and give us peace. And I believe that he is releasing that over everyone here. And we have that incredible joy and privilege of receiving it and believing that that's true. So in in conclusion, in the end, let's allow ourselves to be transformed by needing, receiving and believing Jesus, the living word. But I want to say that if anyone here doesn't know Jesus, this is your opportunity. But not just this. Even when you go home, that's also your opportunity. But I would compel you that, that if you are struggling with unbelief, then I would just say, if you want to believe, I've talked to atheists who say, Matt, I would love to believe. I see the joy that Christians have. I would love to have that, but I just don't know how. And I say, just just ask. Just recognize your need as you do, but go into the Word and ask and pray and ask Jesus if He won't welcome you in. If you're struggling with unbelief, if you've been a Christian for years and you just struggle to, to come back to that, I would say, need it, receive it, come and ask. If you feel like you're in a rut, if you feel like they've been prophetic words over your life and you just aren't seeing it, come and encounter that Jesus that brings us back to our true name, that true calling over our lives. See, that's what transforms us. And I would also encourage you, finally in closing, that if God gives you something, don't be shy about releasing it. If God gives you a prophetic word, don't say, why would he give it to me? Just have the faith to believe that he, he, he could want you to do that 1%. That maybe, just maybe, if you release that over someone, that that word you have will actually happen. If you have something to share in prayer, maybe, just maybe, that could be a powerful thing that transforms the way that prayer meeting goes. I've seen that time and time again. I've seen it when people are hesitating, and then they finally bring it, and the Holy Spirit just brings it alive. Think about what could happen if all of us are the hands and feet of God. If all of us are transformed and go into our workplaces, go into our schools, go into our families, and just are those transformed people that have those rivers of living water flowing. You see, Zacchaeus didn't stop being a tax collector. He was still a tax collector at the end of that, but he was changed. That he was a transformed person. So as we go back into our lives and as we go back into our routines, let's be changed. So I just want to close this in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you so much, Father. I thank you for what you are doing, Lord. Not what I'm saying or what we're hearing, but what you are doing and the incredible destiny you have of our hearts and our lives. And I just pray right now that we would recognize our need, we would receive from you powerfully, Lord. And I pray right now that everyone here with their hearts open would receive powerfully from you. And that we would believe that. We would believe that we receive it and we would see the change and that would grow our faith. Please help us in our unbelief. And Lord, if there's anyone here who's struggling to believe in you or is wanting to believe, and this is the first time that they would receive you as Lord in their life, help them to receive you with joy and help it to transform their life. In Jesus' name, amen.